and overflows all over this house. God bless you. We've got people stuck in, in nearly every sort of corner around Woodburn Baptist Church. We're so glad you're here. If you are joining me in the cafe or in the hallway or one of the choir rooms or any place in this house, thank you for being here. God bless you. It is Easter Sunday, and it is a great day to celebrate the living Lord. I am so excited to be your pastor and so excited to lead you in worship today. It's Easter. I, I love Easter. I love everything about Easter. I love coming to church on Easter. A lot of you have on new clothes. Uh, <laughs> funny, uh, there's a lady with a new, new blouse on. I won't name her. It's my sister, Tracy. The, uh, <laughs> Tracy came in with, with the tag hanging down the back. You know, like she comes to church with the tag. And so the first person says, Tracy, you know, you got the tag on, but don't blame Tracy. Apparently the last thing she said walking to the house was, Tommy, do I have any tags left? And, and so it's, it's her husband Tommy's fault, but, uh, but God bless my sister looks great in, in, in her new blouse. Uh, I just love, I love life. It's all so good. Um, but now uh, allow me to do just a, a little bit of complaining. I'm 51. I'm getting kind of like an old man. And uh, Easter's not what it used to be. And, and the main thing, the main difference I'm noticing is with the Easter egg hunt. Now, how many of you remember Easter egg hunts growing up? Okay, uh, if you're of, of a certain age, then, then, then they meant something different. Now, have you been to one lately? Like, I'm 51. I don't even recognize Easter egg hunts anymore for the simple reason that they don't hide the eggs anymore. Nobody hides eggs. Now, now of course, the, the goal is like to have more eggs, that, you know, like to break the world's record. So you got to have like 95, 950,000 eggs or, or, or something. It was never like that back in my day. We never had that many eggs. That's why they hit them. You hit them to make the egg hunt last longer and also to get the kids out of the house for most of Easter. And so they would literally, literally hide Easter eggs. They would hide them. How many of you have ever found an Easter egg like up in the gutter, like in the drain pipe? They would stick eggs up in there. I'm telling you now, kids got it easy. They just lay like 950,000 eggs around on a football field. Okay. Now, I'm not saying your kids aren't smart. But how much hunting does it take to find Easter eggs that are laying in plain sight at your feet? I mean, at your feet. But that's apparently an Easter egg hunt these days. Back in our day, we would hunt Easter eggs at my aunt's house with all of my cousins. I was always the youngest, dumbest little cousin, so I was just trying to keep up. My cousins were, were, were ferocious with this egg hunt. Now, when I say egg, I mean eggs. None of this Cadbury chocolate-covered, you know, kind of stuff. These are eggs, like right out of the chicken. And then we would hard boil them, listen to Papa now, we'd hard boil them and then dye them in toxic chemicals. <laughs> so you didn't even think of eating these things. If you cracked it open, it was green on the outside, it was green on the inside. Y'all, am I telling the truth? Yeah. Nobody ate these things. It wasn't about candy or eating, it was about the hunt. Now, like I say, we didn't have a whole lot of eggs. We only had so many chickens. And so there weren't 950,000. There might be a dozen, maybe two dozen, seriously. So it wasn't about finding the most eggs. It was about finding the prize egg. Yeah, we had one prize egg. Now, usually, again, I'll just let, I'm, I'm, I'm sounding like the oldest man in the world. Back in the days, like all the women's or pantyhose came in these giant eggs. You remember that? <laughs> The pantyhose were called legs, yeah, yeah, and so, yeah, 
So like Aunt June or whoever, Aunt Barbara, would, would give up like a leg's egg, like from pantyhose, and, and they would put money in it. Y'all, money. I mean, we're redneck kids. I mean, it's like, it's cash money, y'all. And so the idea is, I mean, forget all those hard-boiled, you know, things. You're looking for the prize egg. And now, like I say, they actually hid eggs back in this day. So the prize egg could be in Portland. I mean, it was going to be hidden so that the prize egg would be the last egg found. And if you found the prize egg, you won Easter. You understand? You win Easter. You got the prize, and that makes you the champion. And that's back in the day before the rest of us got our feelings hurt if we didn't win anything. You understood that one person wins the prize egg. So understand, everybody else is just left with that taste of warm eggs and salmonella in their mouth. <laughs> but you taste victory. You taste victory. Easter is about victory. Easter is about victory. And the one who has won Easter, the victor that we celebrate, his name is Jesus. And what you need to understand is that he has won the prize. The prize is life. The prize is eternal life. He has won the prize. He is the victor, but he gives the prize to you. And that is the message of Easter. Turn in your Bibles with me to the Gospel of Luke chapter 24, very, very last chapter in the Gospel of Luke, and I'm going to start in verse 35. Luke 24, 35. Here's the story. The two disciples from Emmaus told their story of how Jesus had appeared to them as they were walking along the road and how they recognized him as he was breaking the bread. And, and just as they were telling about it, Jesus himself was suddenly standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. But the whole group was startled and frightened, thinking they were seeing a ghost. Why are you frightened, Jesus asked. Why are your hearts filled with doubt? Look at my hands. Look at my feet. You can see that it's really me. Touch me and make sure that I'm not a ghost because ghosts don't have bodies as you see that I do. And as he spoke, he showed them his hands and his feet. Still, they stood there in disbelief, filled with joy and wonder. Then he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he ate it, and they watched. Then he said, when I was with you before, I told you that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and in the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said, yes, it was written long ago that the Messiah would suffer and die and rise from the dead on the third day. It was also written that this message would be proclaimed in the authority of his name to all the nations beginning in Jerusalem. There is forgiveness of sins for all who repent. You are witnesses of these things. And now I will send the Holy Spirit just as my father promised. But stay here in the city until the Holy Spirit comes and fills you with power from heaven. Then Jesus led them to Bethany and lifting his hands to heaven, he blessed them. And while he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up to heaven. So they worshiped him and then returned to Jerusalem filled with great joy. And they spent all of their time in the temple praising God. 
churches often will, you know, do big Easter pageants. They, they act out this story, the story of the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus. So they'll act it out best they can. Now, depending on the church you came from and the, uh, the, the resources that that church had, it kind of depended on the quality of the program, of course. I've always been from small churches, so the program was as big as we could make it. Uh, but, but still sort of small. So like the, the West Texas church that I read about that was going to do a big Easter pageant. Now, it wasn't a big church, and they didn't have a lot of people, so pretty much everybody in the church is now in the pageant. It's, it's that sort of thing. But they really didn't have anybody good to play Jesus, because that's tricky. Who's going to play Jesus when everybody knows everybody, you understand? But, but there was this brand new guy. He had just become a Christian. He was an oil field worker. This guy was a big guy. I, I can't explain to you. This guy was a big guy. He's, he's like Goliath, like a gorilla. And he didn't exactly look like anybody's idea of Jesus. He was kind of really kind of tatted up, lots of tattoos, and had needles and piercings in places where Jesus probably didn't. And yet he was big, and he was a new believer, and he sort of volunteered, and since he was big and there was nobody big enough to tell him no, guess who's Jesus? Mr. Oilfield, man, this guy's huge, but he's going to be Jesus. It's okay, he's going to be Jesus. All the other church members took other roles, and they practiced, and they worked, and, and then the big night came for the production. Everybody's into it, y'all. I mean, everybody's into it. It's spellbinding. I mean, this big gorilla guy playing Jesus, man, I mean, he plays Jesus. He gets into his part. Here's the deal, though. There was this little guy, little guy. He was actually a banker in West Texas. He was older, and he was just a member of the crowd. Again, no real speaking part except when the whole crowd speaks. And then he got to yell things like, crucify him. But this guy really got into it. Again, he's about this big, just little dude. He went home, and he sewed his own costume. He sewed himself a robe, and he wore his flip-flops that usually he only wore on the beach on vacation. Okay? So little banker dude is in the crowd, and giant Jesus is coming down the aisle now carrying his cross to Calvary, which is going to be center stage. All right? So big Jesus is coming down the aisle, and little banker dude is really into it in his robe, in his flip-flops, and he's going, crucify him, crucify him. I mean, he's so into it that when giant Jesus gets right in front of him, he just gets overwhelmed. And he says, crucify him. And then he goes, <laughs> he spit on the world's biggest Jesus, <laughs> who is not actually Jesus. He's an oil field worker. The pageant just stopped. I mean, everybody knew what had just happened. It just stopped. Everybody stopped breathing. World's biggest Jesus turned on that little bitty banker dude. He wiped the spit off his chin. And he said, I will deal with you after the resurrection. <laughs> I will deal with you after the resurrection. You know, when the real Jesus came to earth... We did everything we could to insult him and to reject him. You know something of the story, right? I mean, he came into his own, but his own didn't recognize him, and they did not receive him. That would be us. He, he came to earth, God in the flesh. He came to earth to save us. 
but we would not be saved. He, he, he came to earth to show us how to live, but, but we weren't in the mood for a lesson. He came to earth to save sinners, but we were not exactly eager to hear the message that we are sinners, you understand? He came to save us, but we weren't necessarily convinced that we needed a Savior, and, and so we killed him. I mean, this is the message. This is the story, and there's no way to dress it up for you. We, we, we killed him. We, we, we crucified him. Crucifixion was the most grisly, most humiliating kind of death you could possibly put a man through. So what you need to understand is we put Jesus through everything we could put him through. We insulted him. We reviled him. We rejected him in all of the ways that a human being could be rejected, reviled, and refused. Do you understand what I'm saying? But then he comes back. He comes back. This is what nobody expected. And to this day, it, it's almost impossible to believe he conquered death. He came back from that. So understand, after all that the world had put him through, after the way he had been insulted and reviled, he comes back. He comes back, and this is a moment of, of vindication. Understand, the resurrection is Jesus' vindication. Vindication. What exactly does that word mean, to be vindicated, to vindicate? What's it mean? Somebody tell me. Vindication. It means to be, to be proven right. It means to be proven innocent. It basically means that Jesus is who he says he is, and he will do what he says he will do. He's vindicated. So what exactly did he say he was going to do? Who exactly did he say he was? Well, he called himself the son of man, which is interesting because although that's a biblical phrase, it wasn't necessarily something that people had a lot of expectations for, that the Son of Man, if he'd come right out and called himself the Son of God, which he practically never did, people might have had expectations. If he'd actually called himself the Messiah, the Christ, in public very often, then people would have had some expectations as to how he should live and operate in that office as Messiah, the Anointed One, but he doesn't. He calls himself Son of Man. And he says things like, the Son of Man has come to seek and save those who are lost. What does that mean? He said that the Son of Man comes not to be served, but to serve. That doesn't sound royal. That doesn't sound like the coming king, that the creator of heaven and earth, he's come to serve. He washed feet. He would get down in the mud and smear mud in the blind, blind man's eyes and, and make blind eyes see. He was able to make crippled people walk. He could heal lepers. He could raise the dead. Who, who, who is he? Some say a great teacher. To this day, some say that Jesus, I guess most people in the world, you can't argue that he actually lived, but you can perhaps just say he was a good teacher, but... He can't be just a good teacher because what Jesus actually said was, if, if my words abide in you, you can ask of God anything you want and it'll be done for you. If, if my words remain, abide in you, you can ask God for anything you want. I mean, who can make a promise like that? He says come to seek and save the lost. Who, who can save the lost except for God? 
He was God in, in the flesh. Now, you, you may wonder, how, how could you know that? How, how could a person prove that? How do you prove that you're God? Well, this is what I'm telling you. The resurrection is that proof. The, the resurrection is the vindication. He's, he's proven innocent. He, he's proven right. And, and that's the amazing thing. Because if it were me coming back, if you all had mistreated me in that way, if you'd crucified me, if you'd insulted me, if you'd spit on me, when I got to come back, it would be something else, people. I mean, I would come back and it would be an in-your-face kind of moment. You know, in your face. I mean, I mean, that's how I would come back. I would make sure that you knew that you were wrong and I was right. When I got back, man, I would be crushing you. I mean, I would crush you. That's just me. Forgive me, but that's just me. I'll crush you. After what you had done to me, and, and if I am the Son of God with all the power in heaven and earth, when I come back, you're going to know it. You understand? Heads are going to roll. I will crush you. But this is not how Jesus comes back. It, it is his vindication. He comes back, but he does not come back for vengeance. He doesn't come back to crush you. He doesn't come back to say in your face. He comes back. He still comes back to save you. It's, it's, it's amazing what he says. Why are you frightened? Why are your hearts filled with doubt? Look at my hands. Look at my feet. Why are you frightened? I mean, they're looking at a, at a man who was dead and now he's alive. I mean, pardon me, we would all be frightened. But Jesus says, why, well, why are you frightened? It's still me. And, and why are you afraid? Why do you have doubts? Notice the way he just calls that out into the open. Your doubts, your, your fears. I, I don't know about you. I always got the idea that doubts and fears were something you didn't talk to Jesus about. I just got the idea that if you had some doubts or some fears about, about religion or about the Bible, I mean, the last person you talked to would be Jesus. And, and honestly, I didn't always feel like the church was a safe place for a doubter either. And growing up, I often struggled with doubts. I, I, I'm not an easy believer. I, I appreciate science. I like logic. And I ask a lot of questions, but I often felt like the church wasn't a place where you could ask questions. I felt like the church people were impatient with questions. It's sort of like just shut up and believe. And, but I want you to understand that that is not how Jesus approaches these disciples. It's not a shut up and believe kind of moment. He just says, why do you doubt? He, he calls the doubts right out into the open. You can talk about it. You can say what you need to say. Do you understand? Because Jesus can deal with it. He can deal with it. If you're a person this morning and you struggle with, with this whole Easter message, you struggle with the idea that, that Jesus is who he says he is and that he can do what he says he can do. Do you understand? It's okay to doubt. It's okay to be afraid. Jesus calls all that right out into the open. You just say that to him. You just take it to him. I remember a pivotal moment in college when I was really struggling with real serious doubts about my faith. I was walking up the hill toward Cherry Hall, and I remember the very moment when I said, Jesus, I'm not sure I believe in you. I mean, I said it to him. And honestly, and this sounds kind of weird and snarky, but as soon as I said it, I said, Jesus, I don't think I believe in you. I heard the voice of Jesus say, so why are you telling me? 
I know it sounds weird, but it's as if he said to me, well, why are you telling me? And I realized at that moment that, that what I was experiencing as doubt, still there was something deeper than my doubt. There was some part of me that still called out to him, whether I seemed to believe with my whole heart or not. I had a little bit of belief. I had just like a mustard seed of it, and it was enough. It was enough. And despite the fact that I still had doubts and a lot of questions I, I never could answer, I still have questions I can't answer. Do you understand? There is still this part of my soul, this part of my heart that, that just calls out to him. Why are you afraid? Why do you doubt? He says, just say it. He calls it right out into the open. You can talk about these things. Why? Say it. Why do you doubt? Touch me, he says. See my hands, see my feet. I am who I say I am. I can do what I say I can do. Risen from the dead. So if this is true, if this is true, it doesn't just change your Easter Sunday Something bigger has to change. If if this is true, it just can't be true in a way that you can acknowledge and, and then walk away. If this is true, if he is who he says he is, and if he can do what he says he can do, understand, then something has to change. Jesus says, because I am risen then there is a message now that you preach to the whole world, and it is a very simple message. There is forgiveness of sins for all who repent. There's forgiveness of all things. What we're celebrating today is forgiveness. Talking to a lady who uh, kept a diary, like a journal for thoughts. Have you ever done that? I've done a little bit of it. I have like 13 books I wrote in the first page of every one and then stopped. But I'm not no good at it. But, but the thing is, when, when you look back over a book like that where you've written, journal or diary, it's interesting to go back and, and read what you wrote five years ago, 10 years ago, in this woman's case, like 25 years ago. You know what she said? She said, the frustrating thing about my whole life is when I read back over my journal, I am still struggling today with the same unhappiness that I struggled with 25 years ago. I'm still struggling with the same unhappiness. Now, something has to change. You shouldn't have to live your whole life and struggle with the same kind of unhappiness every day. For some of us, it's, it's the guilt, it's, it's the regret, it's, it's, it's the fact that we have tried so hard and failed so many times. It's the fact that we have said things that we can't unsay now. We've done things that we can't undo, or, or we never did things that now we can't go back and do. It's a horrible kind of feeling to be this deep into life and realize that you've really messed it up. And, and, and even worse, that, that you're struggling now with the same kind of mess that you struggled with in high school Nothing ever changes. 
Somehow you, you get older, but, but you never seem to get past the past, and nothing ever changes. But this is the Easter message. This is what Jesus says. It's written that this message will be proclaimed in the authority of Jesus' name, the authority of Jesus' name, the one who conquers death, the one over whom there is no power in heaven or earth higher. Do you understand? The one before whom every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord. Do you understand? It's his authority. And by his authority, he says, there is forgiveness. There is forgiveness of sins for all who repent. There is forgiveness. Y'all remember the Etch-A-Sketch? What's the best part of an Etch-A-Sketch? It means no matter how bad you mess it up, and you always mess it up, who can draw with the line that only goes straight? You understand? And you can't pick it up. You, you know, if you want to draw a face, you got to cut right across to get the, you know, it's just always a mess. So at some point you realize this is not what it's supposed to be. But what was the magic of the Etch-A-Sketch? Yeah. And then it's clean again. By the authority of Jesus, this is what I'm saying to you. This is what this message means. That because he is who he says he is, and he can do what he says he can do, what he says that he can do is wipe your slate clean. What he says that he can do is forgive you of your past. What he says that he can do is walk right out of that tomb and right into your life so that you get to live a new life. Do you understand? He is the victor, but at Easter, you win the prize. The, the prize is yours, and the prize is forgiveness. The prize is a chance to start over. The prize is eternal life in heaven with him. The prize is never, ever, ever having to fear death. There's nothing to fear. He has won the victory. This is the message of Easter. This is the story of all stories. And I'm telling you, once you hear it, if you believe it, something's got to change. Because this message has power to change your life, to change my life. It will change the world. By the authority of his name, there is forgiveness of sins for all who repent. It's the repenting part that we struggle with, isn't it? If something has to change, I'm figuring you mean that the something would be me. And I'm not very good at changing. I mean, is anybody good at changing? I mean, some of you got a new hairdo, but it's the same old you. It's still you. You know, new suit today, we got this price tag to match, but it's still you. It's still same old husband. Yeah, all the tags are gone. I'm not very good at changing. If I could change myself, I would have changed a long time ago. If something has to change and that something would be me, we're all in trouble. I mean, I, I, I don't know how to change. I can't. Jesus knows you can't change yourself. He, he knows you can't forgive yourself. If you could, you wouldn't need a Savior. But he is who he says he is, and he can do what he says that he can do, and he will do what he says that he will do, and what he will do is forgive you. What he will do is take the mess of your life Make it something new. He who walked into the grave walked out alive. You understand? He has authority to save you. 
If this message is true, it can't be mildly true. It has to be life-changingly true. Jesus is who he says he is, and if you are what he says you are, then you desperately need a Savior. He is the Savior. This is the message of Easter. He died for sins, but they weren't his sins. They were your sins and my sins. So so the sins weren't his. That means the death wasn't his either. That death was for you. That death was for me. And, And that means now that the life he lives, it's a life that he's free to give away. You understand? It's eternal. It's abundant. And he offers it to you. To understand, it's Easter. He's the victor. He wins the prize. He wins Easter. He wins all of creation. He wins eternity. But you and I, he offers us the prize. All you have to do, say yes. Yes. Pray with me. It is more than simple minds can believe, Lord Jesus, that you have conquered death and that you live even into today and that you somehow continue to call out to us. It is more than belief, Lord. It takes faith. It takes something deeper than just acknowledging in our minds that this must be true, Lord. It it takes something that moves inside of our heart. It's... It's not just knowing, Lord, that you live. It's, it's wanting you to live your life in us so that we have a different life, a new life. It's recognizing that something needs to change and that something is us. And that only you have the power, Lord, to change us. Lord Jesus, if there be forgiveness of sins in your name, then I pray that you would forgive us, Lord, because we are sinners. Lord, there are those in this house who do not sleep, who do not sit well in a quiet room, Lord. They just cannot simply ever be at peace in their own skin because of what they have done, because of what they fear, because of their doubts, because of their shame, because of the regret. Lord, I pray that something changes today by the power of you, O Jesus, you who have conquered death, you who have won the victor's crown, Lord. You offer that crown to us. So, Lord Jesus, the fact that you love us just as we are, the fact that you've come back from the grave not to crush us but to save us, not to condemn us but to forgive us, Lord, it is the most marvelous news we can imagine. So, Lord, let it not just be a sermon from a preacher's mouth. Let this message today be the message that changes the direction of our lives because of you. Jesus, thank you for loving us exactly as we are, although your promise is to change us to be just like you are. We thank you for the victory that you have won. Now, Lord Jesus, will you pour that victory out into our lives that we may no longer be slaves of sin, afraid of death, afraid of our own face in the mirror. For Jesus, you are the Savior. Save us today, Lord, all of us who call upon your name. You have come to save us. Help us to turn to you, Lord Jesus. We pray these things in your precious name. Amen.